Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. What a joy to sit here for, for Karen and me. And we've been walking around some of our, our uh, little haunts that we occupied during our, our uh, four years here. Fell, we fell in love at 19. Unbelievable. It's too young. No, it's perfect. Fell in love at 19 and we're back for, I can't believe it. Is this, is this the 50th? 1973. I was telling the folks in first service, you know, when I, when I would sit, we, I would come to alumni a Sabbath and sit somewhere in the back or in the balcony and they'd have the the uh, different classes turn around and greet everybody. I didn't turn around this time. I said, I'm not looking back. Because I remember sitting in the back saying, man, the 50th year reunion, those people are so ancient. <laughs> they must have had to come in. They must have carried in and put in their seats. And, and here it is, Leslie Lewis and, and uh, a whole bunch of us. A bunch of us were together last night late, just talking about what life is like. What's been happening over these, these years? And stuff's been going down. It's just, it's just, it's, it's all of our story. But I'm getting ahead of myself because somebody handed me a note and that was a great idea. So we, we, we did it in first service and I don't wanna miss doing this here. Would it be of interest to have stand those that found their mate while they were here at uh, Southern Matrimonial College? or Southern Adventist University. If you met your mate, this, somebody wanted to see this. this we'll, we'll see. If you met your mate, your spouse, uh, put your hands together. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. You know, Karen's sitting right over there. That, that, that was the biggest gift I, I got from coming to uh, Southern SMC. I'm going to tell you something, I'm, I'm just going to level with you. I wish I had met Jesus when I was here. I didn't. It's not the fault of anybody here. I had great professors, like you've got here, your, your, your music department, your, all the departments. It's a religion department, and I could go through that uh, roll call. Wonderful teachers. Never forget them. Great deans. You know the three deans that were in uh, Taj Hall. It wasn't anybody's fault, and I'm not dissing on this campus. It, it was my fault, I take the full responsibility for it. And I was, I was too young, I, I, was, I was just immature, hadn't really found my groove in life, and, uh, but I wish I had met him here. You know, little Zeke, wasn't that a beautiful baptism just a moment ago? There is Zeke, confessing, testifying to his love for Jesus. And we're all older than that. Got a platform here of young adults, Gen Zers, at the cusp of their lives, and I'm so proud of all of them, just because you're who you are, and God has brought you here. But I'm saying, I sat down yesterday with, uh, with uh, Matthew, Matthew Taylor and Gianna Bacchiocchi. They're two students here in the communications department, and they're actually from up uh, our way, and they have a program called uh, uh, Ignite Southern, 
So we had a conversation for an hour on camera. And he said, listen, what would you, what would you say to uh, students who are coming to Southern? I want to say to this, this new class that you have, 700, I saw the president after first service, I guess the actual number, 758 new students at Southern. And that word went all across America. That's just incredible. That's, that's just, it's your largest class ever. I want to say to the first year students who are here, you know what, if you met Jesus your first year, you'd be off to a great start. There's nothing fancy to it. You're not some kind of a, a, a routine or a rigmarole that you have to move through. You just say, you know what, Lord, I want, I want, I want to begin that friendship. Perfect time in your first year. You say, oh man, I'm already in my sophomore year. Doesn't matter. Junior, senior, doesn't matter. I wish I had met Jesus here. I didn't meet him until two years later. Now look, I grew up in an Adventist home, like most of you have. Fourth, fifth generation Adventist, fourth generation preacher. But I missed it. And so, when I got to thinking, okay, I'm coming here, and uh, we'll have this, this moment at homecoming. I said, God, what are we going to drill down on? I'm going to talk about just that. I'm going to share a testimony with you. It's my testimony now. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bible. We're going to look at it in our Bibles. I'll put some slides on the screen in a bit. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, I'm going to pray with you. Maybe this is all of our testimony. I don't know. It's, it's so radical. And that's why I want you to look it up, not on the screen. Mark it in your Bible. Scribble it down uh, on that piece of paper you have. But let me pray with you first. Oh, God. That great camp meeting, gathering in the promised land that the choir just sang about. Amazing grace that the wind symphony played in that, uh, that haunted way. We're here in worship. We didn't come to hear somebody. We came to meet somebody. You're here. We're going to look at one line. May this line come alive for us. For somebody. First year kid, second year, third year, fourth year, it doesn't matter. Visitor, alum, coming back. Let it be clear. Hide me. And you stay front and center. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Reading in my uh, New International Version. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. I like this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We say, well, yeah, that's Paul. I mean, look at He murdered men, women, and children. This whole Hamas, Israel uh, conflagration that we're going through right now. He was a terrorist. A spiritual terrorist. That's what he was. That's what he meant. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know if that's what he's talking about at all. In fact, let me... Uh, let me get my clicker out here. And I want to put that verse back up on the screen. Make sure we got it here. Look at the, look at the tense here. So here it is. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I once was. Is that what it says? Once I was a bad guy once. Once I was one of those sinners that Christ Jesus came to save. Is that what it says? Not at all. It's in the present tense, in the Greek, 
in the English, doesn't matter. I want to tell you about a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Embrace it as your testimony too. That's what he's saying to you and me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I knew something had happened. Something just happened, and I'm thinking, the slide not go up, and everybody says politely, continuing to smile. All right, the guys, you got the, they're going to get the power cord. Yeah. Now, what would we do without these devices? I mean, please. Probably do a lot better, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get it. Don't, don't adjust your set. The problem is here. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. The devil knows what I'm going to preach. Because he already heard it for a service. Yeah, he got it now. And I'm telling you, he's in the details. And uh, even the PA sometimes. It's just, it's life. But that only encourages me. Hang on, hang on. Uh, can, can I keep going now, Nick? Are we, are, we, are we cool to just keep moving? Okay, yeah. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, how could that be? Killer that he was. Right, I tell you what, you can spell it one way. G-R-A-C-E. That's grace. What do you mean? Well, I want to un unpack this with you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Did you ever hear that song? What does this say? A, a, a Phillips, Craig, and Dean song. You ever hear these, these words? Come on. Your grace still amazes me. I bet you we could sing it. Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. You guys heard it? Even in the Gen Z's have heard it? You go, girl. All right. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I fall on my knees. I just love this song. Because your grace still amazes me. What's the deal with that? Well, it's that one line again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Present tense. I am the worst. Now, Jesus told a story once upon a time. It's a story about a, about a uh, homecoming reunion. And two of the guys came to the big worship service for homecoming. One of them came right up here to the front, sat right down on that, that pew by four. And you know what? When he was in high school, he got voted the most likely to succeed. So he's sitting right there on that front row. And he, he stands up. And as Jesus tells it, he has this kind of monologue talking to God. And he says, God, I want to I thank you. I'm not like all my classmates at this reunion. I've been hearing some stories. And oh my, you can't believe what some of these class members have gotten themselves into. I'm not like them. I'm not a thief. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a crook. I'm not like that sinner. You know that guy in the back row? I'm not like him. No. I keep the Sabbath holy. I tithe all I have. I'm scrupulous with my diet. I've been vaccinated and boosted and I would wear a mask if I was required to. <laughs> He's feeling pretty good. The other guy, Jesus says, is on the back row. I get tears in my eyes every time I picture this guy. 
because he can hardly stand. His eyes are brimming. And as Jesus tells it in the Greek tense, he's just beating himself, beating himself on his chest. And you know what he's praying? My God. My God. Oh, please be merciful to me. Because if they'd had a category at his, uh, at his high school, most likely to be the worst sinner in class, it would have been him. It would be he. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And by the way, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, but Luke is writing the story in Greek. And Luke makes sure he, rec he records what Jesus was saying. And in the Greek it reads, be merciful to me, the sinner. I'm the numero uno sinner of this reunion. I'm the worst guy here. Have mercy on me, please. What's so stunning is that when Jesus decides to summarize that, that story, come on, you know this. Look at this. The guy sitting on the back row, this is Jesus in Luke 18. I tell you that this man, the guy in the back row at reunion, rather than the other, the guy up front, this man in the back went home, made right with God. For all those who exalt themselves will be what? And all those who humble themselves will be. Christ Jesus came into the world. How's it go? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. I am the worst. How do you spell that? G-R-A-C-E. Your grace still amazes me. Your love is still a mystery. Each day I bow down on my knees. Because your grace still amazes me. How could he do that? Come on, how could, God, how could God forgive the guy, the worst guy at the homecoming? How could he forgive him of all of that? It's a good question. A bunch of years ago, an Australian actor turned producer named Mel Gibson. You've heard that name? He, he produced this dramatic recounting of Jesus' crucifixion, his last 24 hours. I'm gonna to go to that Calvary scene. I want you to watch the camera as it zooms in because there's one, there's something you didn't know about that, that I'm gonna tell you right now. They throw Jesus down on the cross and then uh, two burly guards, they yank his arms out on the cross beam. So you can picture that. As soon as his arms are yanked out, the camera begins to zoom in on one of the arms and it draws close to the hand. A pair of burly hands reach in. You will, never, you, you will never see the face of the individual. It's clearly a Roman guard. Remember, you know, the, the leather wrist guard on and all that. Hairy arm. Reaches in, pushes that hand down, points the spike, and with his free hand, you know what's going to happen. And they did it. The free hand comes pounding down, and uh, there is the wounded hand of our Lord. Our Lord Jesus. We never see the face of the one that pounded the nail. I was sitting in an audience where Mel Gibson is standing up front and he's being interviewed. He says, I want to tell you something about this that I'm not going to talk about to the public or the press. 
And that is, I made sure I was the one that held that nail. And it was my hand that came down on that nail. And the interviewer said, yo, what's up with that? Because he said, I needed to do that for me, to remind myself it was me. It was, it was my sin that sent him to Calvary. Hey, come on, guys. It wasn't Mel Gibson's sin alone. Your sin, my sin, pinned him down. Now, when his arms are nailed, Jesus breathes a prayer. And I'm telling you what, everything is hanging on this prayer. You remember the prayer? Sure you do. I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus said, though he's just been nailed down, Jesus is saying, let's read it out loud together, come on. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Oh, come on, come on, time out, time out. Jesus, please. That's pretty dramatic. But it's a, you're pushing the envelope. What do you mean we don't know what we're doing? Of course we know what we're doing. When I sin, of course I know what I'm doing. Don't you know, you know, when you kind of melt down, don't you know that you're going to melt down in advance? Sure you do. So what is this? They don't know what they're doing. Something's going on here. Until I read this line that I'm going to put on the screen, I never caught the full impact of that prayer. That's your prayer today. That's my prayer today. Desire of ages. You got to see this. That prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live over what duration of time? Ladies and gentlemen, what duration of time? What does it say? From the beginning of the world to the end of time. Every sinner and every sin covered by that one prayer. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what do you mean? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We know what we're doing. That sin, the one we have to self-medicate to forget. Hey, come on. This is, this, is, this is alumni homecoming. There are people showing up that have been dealing with guilt for years. They've been carrying this, this dark memory. It's like a ball and chain. It's just dragging behind them. They can't get rid of it. That's the guilt I'm talking about. Little sins I laughed off when I was here. Scribbled a note to one of my professors years later. I said, man, I, I can't get this out of my mind. I'm sorry. And then I described to him what I did in his class. You know, I got a letter back from him. Just the kindest man, godly man. He said, Dwight, it's okay. You only hurt yourself. I've forgiven you long ago. I didn't even know about this. That's what he's saying. From the first sinner in time, and that would be, uh, that would be Adam and Eve, to the last sinner in human history before Jesus says it's over and I'm coming back. Every sin forgiven. Every sinner. Wow. How do you spell that word? How, how do you spell that word again? Come on. We're getting the... 
We're getting the, the spelling down. Upon all rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. To all forgiveness is freely offered. From the beginning of time to the end of time. To all forgiveness is freely offered. Whosoever will may have peace with God and inherit eternal life. And man, I've been getting up early in the morning and waking up in the middle of the night. Praying for just this, this one moment. This is not a fancy moment. We're all here and we're, we're having a great time. But I said, God, if there's one guy, if there's one girl that shows up, and she has to deal with this that has been slowly choking the life out of her, out of him. Bring him. And then you take this moment. You take this moment. And you do what you got to do. I'm going to show you something now that you've never seen before in your life. I'm going to take you to a verse you've, you, you have never read before. I'm going to put it at the end of a story that everybody here knows. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Come on, help me out here. Is it a sin to walk on the roof of your house? Is it a sin? Of course not. Not a sin. Is it a sin to get close to the edge of your roof? Is it a sin? No, it's not a sin. Why? What are you talking about? Is it a sin to look over your yard to your neighbor's yard next door and his wife is taking a bath? Is that a sin? Well, for King David, young King David, it was, wasn't it? I mean, come on. Because rather than quickly averting his eyes and saying, uh, uh, oh, wrong time. Time out. Let me, let me slip away. He locked his eyes on. I mean, you're just sitting there in front of the, the computer screen and suddenly pictures start flashing up and you look at the next and you look at the next and it's just hard to get, it's hard to stop. Pornography, look at I come from a university campus. Pornography is the biggest killer of the young today. And by the way, it's an equal opportunity, temptation, and sin. Because it's not just the kids anymore. I've dealt with older adults who are struggling with the addiction. That's not just guys anymore. It's girls as well. Just hanging there. You know the the Bible, the, the Old Testament is a tale of two, two boys, a tale of two, two uh, young adults, Joseph and David. And what's the difference between Joseph and David? I'll tell you the difference. Joseph fled, isn't that right? Joseph fled. David fed. He stayed. I gotta have that girl. Servant comes back, she's here. And we know the, the, the sorry story. They spend the night. David says, well, whew, that, was, that was good. It's done. And then she sends a note to him. I'm pregnant. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Ugh. So David says, okay, her husband is out fighting on the front line. I'm bringing him back for R&R. &R. Hey, Uriah, you are, you, are, you are such a great warrior. And by the way, he's a Gentile, he's a pagan fighting for David's army. He's such a great guy. Take a, take a few nights. Go home to Bathsheba. Just enjoy each other. Then, then I'll send you back. What happens? That pagan soldier is more loyal to the God of Israel 
than the ruler king. And he sleeps every night on the doorstep of the palace. He never goes home. Finally, David realizes, oh man, there's only one, there's only one step left. Scribbles out a note, puts it in an envelope, licks it shut, puts the uh, royal seal on it. He says, yo, Uriah, would you take this to the commander, Joab? Let's just take it to him for me. It saves me a lot of work. Yes, sir. Joab opens the envelope. He reads the note and he knows immediately what's going on. He obeys. Puts Uriah at the front of the, front of the army and then they all pull back. And when the enemy attacks, the man is killed in action. The sad word goes back to Jerusalem. Whew, it worked. Sort of. But David forgot. There's somebody who saw it all. He sees it all, all the time. Why, when, where, he has it. Next day, ding dong, ding dong, it's at the palace uh, front door. In strides the, the prophet Nathan. Comes straight in front of the king. Oh, king, live forever. Hey, listen, we got a real problem going here. There's a rich man who owns, you know, owns everything. Has cattle and flocks. And next door to him, O oh king, there's a, there's a poor man. He has very little. He has his children and he has a little pet, you, you lammy. That, that little lammy is, uh, is so much a part of the family that the lammy sits at the table and they all feed the lammy with their own food. It's just a beautiful story. And you're not going to believe this, king. But the guy who had everything, when a friend of his drops in for supper, says to his servant, yo, don't take one of mine. You go get, go get that little pet lamb across the fence. And that rich man and his wealthy friend enjoy that lamb. David at this point is beginning to levitate off that throne. He has an acute now, acute sense of justice. And live it, he says, give me that man and I'll kill him. Bring him here now. I got it. Prophet doesn't miss a beat. You, O king, you're the man. And David collapses, realizing the gig is up. He bursts into tears. And he sobs and he sobs. So heartbroken is he that later he composed one of the great penitential pieces of literature in all of humanity's collection. Psalm 51. We just read it a moment ago. I want to go back to those words. I want you to find it in your Bible. You and I have prayed these words before, probably with tears, if, if we're alike. Psalm 51. Would you find it in your Bible? The prayer of the heartbroken young king. Psalm 51. Have mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And let's read this one, this last one together. We know this one. Verse 10, let's read it out loud. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Does God really hear a prayer like that? It's easy for me to stand here and say, well, of course, you asked to, ask to, ask to be forgiven. God has you just like that. Prove it to me. And that's a fair question to ask. How do you know that after that heinous crime, David is forgiven? There's no way. The worst? I am the numero uno sinner in this building today? He can't do it. Watch. I'm going to ask you to read a verse you've never read before. Jot it down. Scribble it down as soon as I put it on that screen. This is a, there's another king. This is, this is, David has died, by the way. Years later, an evil king. And once again, God sends a message of judgment to a prophet. But embedded in that message of judgment, I want you to see this. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 7. Jot this down so that you can check it out at home. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 7. God to the prophet. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Yo, I raised you up from among the people, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David, and I gave it to you. What were you thinking? But that's not it. That's just verse 7. There's one more line. Here comes verse 8. But you have not been like my servant David, who, one, did what? Kept my commandments. Kind of a time out, time out, God. Pardon me for interrupting you here, but you can't be talking about the same David. You cannot be talking about the same David. He not only broke the seventh commandment, then he broke the sixth commandment, then he told a lie, and that's the, uh, what is that, the eighth and the ninth. He dishonored his parents. He broke, by the time he's over, all commandments are broken. Are you talking about that, David? Yeah. And why'd you interrupt me? I'm not through. All right. But you have not been like my servant David, who, number one, kept my commandments, and number two, follow me with all his heart. Time out. Whoa, 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 whoa. With all his heart? He gave his heart to a woman that's not even his wife. Destroyed a home. Destroyed a host of hearts. You, can't, you cannot be talking about the same David. There's somebody else we haven't read about. Is that the one you're talking about? I said, hold it. I'm not done yet. Are you serious? You have not been like my servant David, who one, kept my commandments, and two, followed me with all his heart, and three, did only what was right in my eyes. Impossible. Only what is right? His whole life was right? No. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You know what, God? It's not divine amnesia you have. It's divine Alzheimer's. That's what you got going on. You, you have lost it. Come on. We know the story. The sordid story. One of the worst sins recorded in all of Holy Scripture. Isn't it amazing that when God decides to comment on somebody dead who lived a life with, with a horrific sin as David's, that God made sure that somewhere in the books that follow, 
there would be the truth about God and how God deals with the numero uno sinner in your pew. The numero uno sinner behind this little pulpit. I'm dealing with you, Dwight. Don't worry about David. I'm talking about you, boy. You give me your heart, as in Psalm 51. You offer your life back to me. Ask me to forgive you. Ask me to wash you. You do that. Because it's free choice. I can't just say, oh, well, do it. No. I'm watching you like a hawk now, boy. Girl, I'm watching you. If you mean it, you want to let this, this, this horrible burden that you've been dragging through life, you want to let it behind, you want to leave it behind, let it go, then you ask me. You speak to me. I'm the closest friend you will ever have. Ask me. And I'll forgive you this way. Everything she ever did was right in my eyes. Everything he did. My, oh my, oh my. I mean, can you believe it? Am I making, am I, hey guys, you've heard this now for the second time. You're doing very well, by the way. Am I making anything up here? Am I making something, you know, am I slipping something in that's not there? Am I? No. Thank you for that. No, come on. It's right here. Man, before I sit down, I got to read one more line to you. The book that turned my life around, I didn't read it here. Oh, I probably did, but I didn't. I was in a heap of trouble two years later, going through the dark night of the soul. And I thought, my guilt is going to just destroy me. I can't make it. I didn't want to tell Karen we'd only been married six months. And I cried out to God. But I didn't know what to do. And I'm going to, I didn't share this in the first, but I'm sharing it now. I went to the professor who had been telling us that we need to ask God to reveal to us our, our true sinfulness. And o over uh, the Christmas break, I prayed that prayer. And I, you know what? I've since learned never ask God to reveal to you your true sinfulness without asking him at the same breath reveal to me a sin-pardoning Savior. Just show me the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you can see the Lamb of God, you can lay anything on me. If I have the Lamb of God standing right here, you can hit me with everything you have. I say, Jesus, will you take it away? I'd forgotten about that one. It's gone. That little book that brought me back to Jesus. It's the title, that's the title of the book, Steps to Christ. I read it. Changed my life. You gotta, if you got a load of guilt that you're hauling around right now, get a hold of that book. You can get it online. It's free. Read that book. Just a few short chapters. I'm promising you. In the book, on page 62, you'll come across this line. This is so beautiful. Here it is. If you give yourself to Jesus and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been, homecoming, alums, students at SAU, 
sinful as your life may have been in the past, for his sake, you were counted righteous. Now, it gets even better. Here we go. Christ's character stands in place of your character. And let's read this last line together out loud. And you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. Can you believe that? That's what 1 Kings 14 is all about. That's why I told you, write it down. You don't have to go to Steps to Christ to get that. Steps to Christ is simply affirming to you the truth of 1 Kings 14. That guy kept all my commandments, did only what was right all the time. By the way, people who are worried about the investigative judgment, oh man, you haven't, you got this judgment going on, and man, you never, you never have security, you don't know what's happening, and how's it going above? Rubbish. Rubbish. You can call it whatever you want. And you can pull all the books out you wish that have my name on them. But if 1 Kings 14 is true, and I have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ who prayed for me 2,000 years ago and forgave me at that time, if I have accepted that Lord Jesus Christ, then that book, when he gets to it, says, man, I know, this guy was a, was a rascal. Where's the record? Hey, Gabriel, you've been around with these records where is it it's not there why is it not there he took it away you are treated just as if you have never sinned that's good news because David's dead there's no change in David's life his, his you want to talk about going to some investigative judgment his books are already there but the word is that because he cried out in Psalm 51 he says God you gotta I throw myself on your G-R-A-C-E, on your mercy. I throw myself at your feet. I am the numero uno sinner. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm one of them. And he forgave me 2,000 years ago. Nobody goes home from this alumni homecoming dragging a ball and chain. Nobody. Not in the balcony in the back. Not in the sanctuary floor. Nobody. Doesn't matter what you took in college. Doesn't matter what you did in college. Doesn't matter what you've done since college. What matters is, you come to Jesus. I didn't make this up. He's gonna treat you the same way as he treated David. And you have every reason to be at peace. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, hallelujah. What do you call that, Dwight? You know what I call it? Come on. Grace. I call it crazy good news. Forgiven. And, a lot of people forget the end. Forgiven and forgotten. It's gone. I'm sworn it's here. Guess what happened? The son of David came to earth. The son of David died. The savior of the world. And the son of David saved David 2,000 years ago. 1 Kings 14 is based on what has not even happened yet. But I'm going to die. And David, sleep on, boy. You sleep on. I got you covered. And it doesn't get, better, get any better than that, does it? It does not. So, my friends, don't go home. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Nobody's coming forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But give it to Jesus right now. Come on. Some of you are dealing with some major guilt. I told you a bunch of us were together. Last night, late, yeah. 
Let me pray. Oh, God, here we are. We've had a wonderful worship service. The choir, the wind symphony. You want to hear the organ? And, oh, my. And we're here. But dear Father in heaven, please, the enemy of our souls has been pushing our face into it all these years. You can't go back. You can't be accepted. You're the worst sinner there ever was. And I'm not letting you go. Oh, Father, may the mighty son of David stand up right now and with his outstretched nail-scarred hands rebuke, rebuke the evil one who has burdened us, tried to destroy us with a memory. It's gone. It's gone. Do it for her. Do it for him. Up there in the balcony, right here in the front, in between. Do it for us. On the platform, do it for us. Oh, Father, we love you back. We are not worthy. We are not worthy, but we love you back. Your grace. Your grace. And we praise you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, let that go. In the name of Jesus, walk away. When you walk out this door, leave it behind. He'll take it. Our filthy rags, he'll take them all to the garbage heap of, of the universe. In the name of Jesus, daughter, son, go in peace. Your faith has healed you.